so Daniel, here's my very first question for you. This is not on the list that I sent you. Okay. This is my big zinger. Okay. Got it. I'm noticing on your zoom handle, you have three L's in your name, Daniel. And I'm really curious about that. Um, I think actually that was at Shepherd. I, I got tired of just doing the normal name. So I, I was doing it funny. I might've copied somebody. Um, but I think my favorite, my favorite handle at Shepherd was not Axel. Um, <laughs> I think that, we were playing among us. I think we were playing among us and that was one of the students and he chose that name for his among us character. I was like, that's the one I'm going with. So most zoom calls we do as students during COVID. That was my username was actually not Axel. Not Axel, but somewhere along the line, it, it evolved into Daniel with three L's. And somehow that became the default and I have to change it anytime I want it to be normal. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how to get back to that. You're not a third or anything. Are you like Daniel the third? Nope. Nope. Okay. Just being goofy with the spelling. I like it. I like it. Some, some of the podcasts that I listen to, the people change, the hosts change their names every time. And sometimes they share it, their, their name with the audience. And sometimes they don't because they put things in there that they don't want repeated, or it's like just how they're feeling that day. And it's for their co-host to see and everything. But I just yeah. put my boring, my boring name up there for the world. The one your see. parents gave you. The one that, yeah. The boring one that, that your one. parents gave you. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, mom and dad. And my mom does listen to these Man, podcasts. I was going to say, you out. just lost half your listeners on this podcast. Yeah, but my mom is still listening. And that's what counts for this one. She'll be inspired. <laughs> but, um, thanks for hanging out, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about when, when I first met you. The, the catalyst to me meeting you was I was coming to Nashville to visit Treveca. Uh, earlier this year, I think it was in February, and recruit on campus for Shepherd. And I kept hearing about this guy named Daniel McGee, and like you got to meet this guy, and and just the legend of of Daniel. And I was like, I, I want to meet this guy. And then while I was there, I think it was Ritu. She's like, Have you met with Daniel yet? You need you need to meet with Daniel. I'm like, I'm gonna meet with Daniel. And then you and I, we connected up, and we went and ate at that place around the corner euro barn yeah and it was delicious and i had some type of kebab or what, what are they yeah i think you just had like a euro sandwich so kebab it was kebab and then they serve like italian too but you told me nobody there or ever Never, ever seen someone get the italian i've gone a dozen times nobody ever gets the italian so when i come back and I'm, I'm actually coming back to campus I, th- I think i mentioned this to you but i'm coming back at the end of september Okay. I'm really tempted to go there, even on my own, and order the Italian and just see what happens. Just, <laughs> just out of curiosity. But that's kind well, of how no, we. I I know. No, well, maybe... So let me know, and we'll go get the Italian together. Okay, you're gonna wait for me though. I'm gonna be the guinea yeah. pig. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's like Among Us. You're gonna send me in the room, see what happens, follow afterwards, make sure the booby traps have all been set off. Okay. Um. But yeah, from there, I mean, you and I have talked once or twice, a little bit of communication. And then as I've been talking with you more, I'm just like, I want to, I want to share about your experience with Shepard. So that's kind of what we're, we're talking about today. And I sent you these questions. I appreciate you responding to them. You didn't have to, um, cause I was going to, I'm going to kind of ask him anyway, but it gives me an idea of the directions that you're, 
that you're wanting to go with it. But I might ask other questions too, Daniel. And if you have questions for me or other stuff you want to talk about, do it. Okay. Sounds good. Do it. And mostly um, the notes I left there just to remind me of what I was thinking as I processed these. That's not what under pressure. For. Yeah. Um, so those are notes for me and I'll expound on them more. Love it. Love it. Okay. I got one more starter question for us before we jump in officially. Um, you were just at a camp and I think you told me it was fourth and fifth grade, right? Yeah. God bless you. God bless you <laughs> for being a cabin camp leader for fourth and fifth grade camp anywhere. I just wanted to tell you that. I just wanted to thank say you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was a lot. It was 14 boys, which is I think a new high score for our church. Um, I had a high schooler as my other counselor and always had to be the bad guy. It was <laughs> as a people pleaser, that was tough. Cause it was like with 14 boys, you're never going to have all of them behaved. And so no. I could never just like have fun with them. Um, we still had some good times, but always had to be on the ball. And, and you yeah, survived and you're here. Yep. Survived. Everyone involved survived. I thought 13 out of 14 would have been decent, but I had all 14 of them come back. So praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. It was a good week. Their families maybe were like, could you keep them longer? Like, but no, we got one of the dads last night. I was like, your child, he was an angel. He was so much help. And he's like, can I get that on recording? <laughs> um, so here it is on recording. Your child was an angel, JP. Where's the proof? This is as close as we get. There's no video footage. No CCTV. All right. Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like uh, what you're doing in life, where you're at, what's, what's going on right now. Cool. Uh, so I, my family has four boys in total. So I got three brothers, um, which if you knew me and knew any of us, that, that says a lot about us. Um, all really rowdy, love to make fun of each other. Um, but backing each other up in a fight, um, born in California, all four of us, Grew up in Colorado until I was 13 and then moved to Tennessee. So living out here in Nashville, um, near Treveca. My dad got a job here. Um, so all four of us went to Treveca, which is also craziness. And we dominated at the intramural sports. Um, after I graduated in 2020, or didn't graduate in 2020, didn't graduate with a degree. There we go. Uh, I have a degree, <laughs> bachelor's degree, but never got to walk. Um, we, I worked at Shepherd for a year. After that, I moved back to Treveca. This last year, I've been working as a volunteer facilitator, basically connecting students with volunteer opportunities in the neighborhood. Um, I'm moving into a graduate assistant position where I'll work for Treveca, get my master's degree. They'll cover my housing, a little bit of a salary, but it's a good situation. I go to Treveca Community Church and serve there. So this puts me really close to the church um, because of working at Treveca and living at Treveca. Um, so I work in currently children's ministry and middle school ministry. I'm the interim children's pastor with a new, uh, new children's pastor coming in August. And then I'll move into a more middle school focused ministry position. Um, that could be totally volunteer, a little bit paid. I don't know, whatever it is, whatever the church needs me to do. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, sometimes I work with Jeremy Height, uh, with college ministry and, brainstorming on what kind of community engagement we can get going. So I'm really just a lay person at this point um, who is called to ministry, working on ordination and involved in whatever the church needs me to be involved in. So it's a good spot. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, with the, 
with the middle school, then Grace is the youth pastor, right? Grace Savage. Correct. So does she oversee yeah. all middle school, high school, and then you work under under her, with her, alongside her? Yeah. How's that? So earlier this year, Jamin was the youth pastor. He moved into an executive position. Okay. Grace was the middle school pastor. She's moved into the youth pastor position. So now they're kind of hoping to give a little more focus to the middle school position. Right on. Which I've been helping Grace with middle school. Um, and now she's there talking about me just giving more attention and planning more for the middle schoolers. Okay, sweet. How do the middle schoolers feel about that? Do they, do they have any say in this? Does anybody ask them? Uh, they're, they're pretty hyped. We get along pretty well. They can be total turds sometimes. Um, feel free to bleep that word out. Um. <laughs> I will not. As a volunteer middle school small group leader myself, I will not bleep that out. That is reality. And I've also, we were, my wife and I were fourth and fifth grade, actually it was fifth and sixth grade Sunday school teachers okay. for a number of years. When our, when our son went into it, he's now going to be a junior in high school. But when he, went, when he came into fifth grade, we were like, just moving back to this area. And so we're like, we'll volunteer. We'll jump in while he's here. And then like two or three years later, after he was gone, we were like, why, why are we still doing this? I mean, there was a need that was there and everything, but we COVID gave us an exit and we, (laughs) we found the off ramp suddenly, and we've never found the on ramp again, back into that. But I am, (laughs) I am a volunteer leader and often sixth, seventh, eighth graders, ninth grade guys. Those are the kind of the places that they put me. I'm not saying it's a sweet spot, but I'm saying I can identify. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, they could be turds. We're really boy heavy right now um, in the middle school, as well as elementary. Like obviously we had 14, fourth, fifth and sixth graders um, going to camp. So really boy heavy. And with middle schoolers at some point, it's just like you get so many of them together. They can't stop making comments and telling each other to shut up. And logic does not work, but I think I think my favorite thing about working with middle schoolers is like as long as you continue to pour into them, once they get past the hormones, um, those things come out, and it's cool mm-hmm. to see. Um, yeah, it makes a difference. Once you don't man. give up on them, they turn out in a good spot. They do. It's true, and the consistency, and you know, having boundaries, following through on stuff, consistency, being able to be serious, being able to have fun, being able to like realize okay this is about relationship right now and i could try to teach this and i could try to force it and make the, the all, hit all the lesson points but that's all that's going to have happened and i'll maybe feel good about it but we won't have grown together i mean there's an art to it right yeah for sure ah okay um i have a follow-up question on a bit of your backstory you're from the west like yep. california colorado and then nashville yep do you do you miss like any parts of the West and specifically the mountains, whenever I travel back East and even rolling Hills and, you know, everything. And, and even being in like different parts of Appalachia, I still miss kind of Epic mountains of the, the Rockies of Colorado or, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you miss any oh, of that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely felt claustrophobic the first year we lived here. Cause it's like, you can't see past the next hill. Um, we're mm. in Colorado. You get anywhere near the mountain and you can see for a hundred miles. Um, so we lived yeah. in Colorado Springs at the foot of Pikes Peak. So like I said, anywhere near the foot of Pikes Peak, right going up the mountain, you can see forever. Um, so I miss the mountains. I miss the snow. Even living in Indianapolis for a year, we got like eight inches of snow and I loved it. 
and it was wet snow too so you can make snowballs and snowmen in Colorado most of our snow did not have much packing ability um plenty of sledding ability but you couldn't really pack it together and make snowballs and snowmen most of the time um but I miss the snow miss the mountains I miss the open space uh I like the greenery here you can just you don't even have mm-hmm. to it blew our minds you don't even have to water your grass they just had grass growing on the side of the highway um in Colorado you don't you don't get grass unless you have a sprinkler system and take very careful care of it right um same with California California we only lived there like a couple of years so I don't remember it very well I'd say it influences my like my language and my culture because my parents both they met in California at Point Loma Nazarene University um my mom's family's from there. My dad's family's from Colorado. So culture and language come from really like California and Colorado. Um, and especially going from Colorado Springs where there's like a bunch of military bases. People mm-hmm. are constantly moving in and out. No one's too comfortable. Then moving to the the deep South, everyone grew up together and it's oh, yeah. totally different culture. Um, very, yeah, very comfortable culture. But so that's probably been the hardest part going between those two places, the West and where I am now. And then there's up in Indianapolis where they call themselves the Midwest. I'm like, you're nowhere near the middle. You're like really the middle East of the country, but apparently that name's taken. So I can't say that. Well, Um, and then I hear people from like Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, even. And it's like, they're the Midwest. And, and because I'm, my family's all in Indiana and I've always heard that referred to as the Midwest. um, That's always been kind of weird to me, but yeah, it's, it's, Kind of depends on where you're from, how you see yourself of of where you're from. That was not a profound statement, but where, where do you think of as the Midwest? Like Kansas um, is the middle of the country when you look at the map. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I never really thought about designating the Midwest. I, and I understand it was called Midwest from like early American settlement. So it was like original place. There's like the West and then there's like the middle ground. So it's all relative to the east side of the country. And I understand that's how they named it. But I don't know. I just thought left of the middle would be Midwest. Okay, here, here's a question that, that I found intriguing with how people talk about um, the geography of the United States. And depending upon where you're from, how you, how you interpret um, this location. I'm building up to it a little bit. But I think of like St. Louis, you know, and you got the, the, the arch kind of gate there. It's like the gateway to the West and you got the Mississippi river and everything. Mm-hmm. I kind of think as that is the dividing between the East and the West. And so I have this theory um, about, about this place. But when I say, when I say the name uh, of, of lo- uh, geographic location, when I say Washington, what do you immediately think of? Uh, I think of the state. I know a lot of people in the South think of DC. They do. And so here's my theory that if you're East of the Mississippi, when you hear Washington, you think you, you think DC. And when you're West of the Mississippi, it's Washington state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like most people I've talked to in the South, most of them haven't really been any farther than Colorado. Um, like that's, that's really far West for them. Um, yeah. Most people, haven't gone too far west most of them when they vacation they go to the beach every year same beach um yeah it's it's weird Mm -hmm. and they're a lot more familiar with this half of the country which is it makes sense i i really didn't know this side of the country until we moved here we did like one dc trip before 
when I lived in Colorado um, and kind of like saw the East Coast. But that was like, that was one trip and that was it. Uh, it definitely wasn't anywhere we visited regularly. And I, I feel like it's kind of like that for people in the South. They, they generally have done their beach trips, uh, maybe gone to Gatlinburg, which I didn't realize how big a deal Gatlinburg is, but that's like most of the mountains you're going to find on this half of the country. Mm. Um, even people in Indianapolis uh, would visit Gatlinburg, Tennessee for their vacations if they wanted to see mountains. Duly noted. I've heard of it. I've, I've never been. I, I just haven't traveled the South at all between Texas and Florida. Like I haven't been in any of those States down there at all. Um, it, and if I have, it was just passing through. It wasn't cause I was visiting or spending time there for something. And I'd like to change that. I, but I kind of wait on God for that stuff, like opportunities and invitations and not like trying to make it happen. I, I've never been to, to, to New Orleans. I'd like to visit New Orleans sometime. Have you, well, that's have you pretty been? bizarre. It's a different place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my family took a trip there and it's, I mean, it was like a French colony first or something like yep. that. So like mm-hmm. the architecture, the culture, it's all pretty different than typical America, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. Southern America surrounding it. But it is, it's part of the Southern, but it also has yeah. this French influence, this kind of Creole thing. And there's this, um, there's this book that I have that talks about the different, instead of dividing North America up by countries and states dividing it up by cultural influences and that parts of Louisiana and New Orleans have more in common with Quebec with Quebec than they do other parts of the United States and and so they group those together as as cultural kind of uh, affinity and you know the border comes up past up into the middle of the southern western states and so there's, there's more, you know, kind of it's, uh, I think the author called that Norteño. And so it, it, it's all kind of culturally kind of influenced. And then the top of the, of, of from like Maine, all the way across all the states moving West through Chicago, um, all of those kind of culturally align in a way, but the Southern parts of, of those states, especially once you get down into like Pennsylvania, they all align in, in, in a way, in, in kind of worldview, politics, um, perspectives, culturally. Um, I've noticed this in Indiana. This was not on our list of stuff to talk to, talk about at all, Daniel. But I've noticed in Indiana, this will be our segue to Indianapolis. Um, so I was born in Fort Wayne. I've lived collectively probably five and a half years of my 45 years total in the state of Indiana. And the first four and a half were the most in one, one time. Other times it's been like six months here, nine months there. Like if the math doesn't work out, don't do the math because it doesn't work out with five and a half years, maybe six years. Um, But in my recent experiences there over the last eight years, I've noticed in Indianapolis, I get to parts of it and people have a Southern draw. They got a draw kind of sometimes. Did you ever pick that up when you were in Indianapolis? You ever notice that? Uh, I didn't notice. I don't think so. Yeah, maybe maybe I just had an isolated experience in one gas station where I went in and the person behind the counter just happened to be from someplace in the South. But it really struck me of like, I'm in Indianapolis, the capital of Indiana that's in the Midwest. And the person I'm interacting with right now has a very strong Southern accent. And and they're they're from here. It's, uh, I mean, this is this is just their environment. This is where they live. Um, and I've I've 
experienced that a, a little bit more as I've gone further south in, in Indiana. Of It starts feeling a little bit more that way than when I visit my relatives up in Fort Wayne and the vibe that I get up there. And that's kind of Amish country, too. That's a whole different yeah. cultural thing. But um, I'm talking to you today because I want to find out about your experience in Indianapolis. And we've talked some, but let's just dig into when you served as a, a fellow with Shepherd and like how that all came about. Um, and why you chose to go to Shepherd, um, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. Um, so it started out honestly early 2020. I was praying for God to put me up close and personal. I was a senior religion major, focused in youth ministry, and I was praying God would put me up close and personal with people who are hurting and poor and need the gospel, and not in the sense of like, man, their life sucks without it, but like, man the gospel changes things. And I want them to have that. Um, and I want to actually see the gospel at work where the gospel is native, um, among those who are hurting and poor and, and really needing good news. Um, and definitely I, I was considering at that time going to NTS Nazarene theological seminary. Um, there was a scholarship that would have covered a whole degree there. Um, but I saw so many religion majors stuck in the theology, um, and never actually putting their hands to work with that theology that I had a sense of God calling me towards um, hands-on ministry. So I began praying for that. Um, and even there was at our church, we did one of those like reflections and looking forward at the new year where we wrote a letter to ourselves. And one of the things I asked is what, what do you want God to do this next year? And I wrote that prayer. Um, and I honestly forgot about it until the next year I was at Shepherd and in Indianapolis and they they sent me my church sent me that letter and I saw that I was like whoa God did that where I am now is exactly what I was praying for um so that was the beginning of the year a couple months into the year Alan Sutherland was recruiting at Trevecca for fellows um, to come to Shepherd and serve a one-year term as a fellow living in Shepherd housing um half salary and then working with different departments within Shepherd. Um, he was friends with one of my professors. So he was able to speak in a couple of my classes, talked about Shepherd. One of the things that stood out to me is he said, if you don't like children, this is not a spot for you. Um, I was like, perfect. That's where, <laughs> that's my spot. Um, other things that stood out is just how he talked about a lot of different things that Shepherd did. I didn't have a clear idea of what that was exactly. Um, but he also talked about, oh, they have a, a guy who runs their video, um, like does all their video productions, editing videos and stuff like that and shooting them, who's a former CNN producer. And at the time I was, had just finished the intro to film class, really enjoyed it, was getting into stuff more, editing video. I worked sport, sports broadcasting for four years at Trevecca. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if, if I went there, if I could get connected with that, that guy. Um, and so there were, there were several things, but definitely talking about the Near East side, breaking the cycle of poverty and working with children were all things that I was like, okay, this sounds really cool. So it didn't take long. I, I signed up and then COVID happened. Wasn't sure if my position would still happen, if I would still be a fellow because of COVID, but Shepard still asked me to come out and, and work for them. So it was the end of May, 2020 that I came out to Indianapolis, moved there. 
um, and started working for Shepherd Community Center. Right on. So when Alan was in that class and sharing, was that was that in the spring semester of 2020 or was that in the fall of 19? That was spring semester 2020. Okay. So it was that half semester before school was not canceled, but sent home. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was spring break. It was before spring break because spring break was when the school sent an email saying, don't come back to, to school. <laughs> yeah. Which at Crazy. first I was like, oh, that's cool. And after a couple of weeks, I remember where I, exactly where I was. I was building a table at church and they said, uh, someone told me Trump just announced no more than 10 people in a room. I was like, oh crap, this is, this is real. Um, wow. Yeah. And so that the rest of that semester, you were off campus, but then you started up at Shepherd. Yeah. So I finished, graduated, had a nice Facebook graduation and then moved up to wow. Shepherd. Um, which was, which was cool. It was weird. Shepherd already was, it was right, right after they were going through their like mask making uh, campaign where they got everyone who knew how to sew to start sewing masks. So I remember seeing the remnants of that. And when I came in, it was kind of like, I don't know, just like, I can't think of the word, but emergency mode. Um, and I came in mm. kind of as they were getting over that first shock of it and like starting to settle into how do we, go into the summer with COVID, uh, not really knowing when COVID would finish. Um, so I'm still very much in the, the peak of COVID and responding and reacting. Wow. Dude, it's, it's so weird. I mean, cause we're, we're sitting here on July 5th of 2022 and it seems so long ago that, that everybody was like wearing masks to me, but it wasn't, I mean, it was, in some places, it was just as recent as spring break. I mean, it's only been the last month, maybe, that we haven't needed to wear them in airports or not maybe needed, but we haven't been required to wear them in airports or on airplanes. Um, and, and I'm listening to you talk about this. And I wasn't a college student, but I had a, you know, my daughter was in college at the time. And I remember journeying with her and our, our boys in high school at the time when, when things started up with COVID. And now it just seems so surreal that there was really a time when we, when we couldn't have medical grade masks and we had to like have our grandmas and aunts like sew masks for us or forgot how to do it ourselves. And we were using cloth. Like that seems that, that really happened. I remember yeah. being in that and it wasn't that long ago. Dude, does it seem like a long time ago to you or does it seem like yesterday? It, it does. It seems like a long time ago. A lot's happened since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so weird and wild when um, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you in our last conversation, but when uh, the chaplain from Olivet was visiting with us at Shepherd during training week, just a few weeks ago, he's like, guys, let's just, let's just remember that at spring break and on, on our campus at Olivet, we were all wearing masks still. Like it wasn't that long ago for the students on my campus that, that they were wearing masks. And now, you know, we're talking about, teams and sending people out and sending people places and recruiting folks. And it's like, we're, we're kind of still in this and people are just trying to have a normal summer, but, um, has it been a normal summer 
Daniel, do you feel like, you know, you're working at Trevecchia, you're around college students, you're an adult. This is the first one where there haven't been major, major restrictions across the country. You experienced COVID at Shepherd, which we'll get back to in a second, but coming into this summer, being here now in July, we've celebrated the fourth. Does that feel normal to you? Honestly, yeah, it's it's been pretty normal around here. Um, there's We just had like a June orientation at Trevecca that I helped with. And there was like brief considerations of like, okay, um, just having some healthy measures, but nothing crazy. Um, nothing abnormal as far as like in the past before COVID, we would, we would always consider like, oh, how do we like keep germs out and how do we um, process everything? But really it was basically normal with just small considerations on being careful of COVID. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, crazy. time traveling back once again to Shepherd of 2020. It's May. You've come to Shepherd. They've just hit that initial, that initial, like, how, what are we going to do about this? People have made masks and now, now you're there. Describe your, your role as a fellow and what kind of your week looked like. Yeah. Um, so when I first got there, it was summer and I was fully involved with student ministry. So middle school, high school, um, summer programming. Um, and then once I w- moved into like the school year, it, it changed a little bit because in the morning for the first half of the day until noon from like eight to noon, I was with family ministries, family ministries. Their goal is to equip families with resources and tools to break the cycle of poverty. Um, so basically a lot of social work. Uh, my position in that was food distribution. My boss just said, all right, they gave our department food distribution. Daniel, you're new. Here's your job. And so he gave me full responsibility for that. He said, let me know if you need anything. Uh, but that was really great. So I had real responsibility um, and it couldn't have gotten done if I didn't do it. So that's mostly what I did throughout the week. Wednesdays was food distribution. Monday was food packing. Um, to get ready for food distribution as far as like the dry goods. And then the rest of the week was just organizing, coordinating with partners who would take out food, the distributor distributor who would bring us the food. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all communication related to it. And then here and there, we'd have different projects pop up for the whole department, um, such as making phone calls or getting ready for an event like the Christmas party, um, the Christmas store, that's what it was. Um, so stuff like that would pop up and I'd hop in to help. But most of what I did in the mornings was food distribution um, and just supporting my coworkers in my department. Um, afternoon, I'd be in student, student, student ministries. So middle school, high school, e-learning and after school programs. Um, so during COVID, obviously lots of students had to be virtual. We provided a space that was air conditioned, had Wi-Fi, and we would provide lunch so they wouldn't be hungry during the day. Parents could drop them off and not have to worry about them being at home. Um, so that's most of what we did during the day once or twice a week we had clubs Um, I know outside of COVID they said that it'd be a lot more often like every day but because of COVID we wanted to minimize uh, contact so we'd do it once or twice a week Um, I think it was once in the first semester and then as COVID was letting up for the second semester we we went to twice a week Um, I taught like video editing graphic design um, we did Bible studies, played games, stuff like that. And that was my afternoons. Um, occasionally, I would work with Tom Corey, who's the producer of all the video media. 
at Shepherd, we would do some Facebook lives and I'd help him set those up, which were just basically Jay Height talking about what's going on, giving updates to families, talking about upcoming events. Um, Tom Corey was really great. I expressed an interest in working with him and he just pulled me right in um, and gave me a lot of uh, a lot of experience as well as asked me for help with a lot of things that he was never afraid to ask for help. I'd get calls from him all the time. And it was great. Um, aside from that, uh, there was the Paraclete program that started the second half of me being there. Uh, the Paraclete program gets its name from the Paraclete in the New Testament, the Greek word for the helper, who is the Holy Spirit. Um, so that was for everyone involved, everyone working at Shepherd. Once a week, they were expected to call, text, go visit one of the neighbors we have been in contact with or have helped, um, giving that personal touch and that personal check-in with everybody. Because it's not just about giving them the resources, but it's also about being relational and connecting with them. And that was so good. That was one of the best things I did there. Um, I had a friend who I connected with him around Christmas time. I could just tell he just wanted some company. So I asked for him to be one of my Paraclete neighbors. And I would go visit him once a week, bring him food, just hang out and talk for probably about an hour. Um, I got to meet all kinds of friends of his um, who were some really interesting friends. He lived in Section 8 housing. um, And it was just, it was a very up close and personal experience uh, with someone who needed the gospel, um, but really just, in the gospel, the need for people, community, someone to connect with. Um, so he always looked forward to seeing me. I really look forward to seeing him. For about half a pack of cigarettes while we we're there hanging out. Um, usually we'd just chill on his back porch and it'd be good. He'd tell me whatever he wanted to tell me. Um, all kinds of stories. I think two of the most significant things I heard was really just gave me a glimpse of like poverty mindset that we talked about at Shepherd. Because he said, his mom always told him, if you always wait till you can afford something, you'll never have anything. I was like, oh no. That's like, because some of these things are very like subtle and like implicit, but this is like explicit. He was thought, like, spend it while you have it. Um, I got to see that at the 4th of July, which was the best 4th of July that I've ever seen because it was right after the stimulus checks dropped. And again, they spend it while they have it. So people went all out like parking lots were covered wow near your side of indianapolis was it smelled like fourth of july everywhere was fireworks i put up a drone and looked around and it was like as far as you could see there's fireworks everywhere it was so cool um but it's that that poverty mindset was of spend it while you have it um trying to think another thing he said was he was just always really eager to spend his money on his friends um, cause he's like, I have it now. I won't have it later. And I was like, dude, if you save it, you will have it later. Um, mm-hmm. but and it's just one of those things of recognizing it's not, it's not that I'm smarter. It's just that someone taught me differently. And I grew up with a mindset of saving money. Um, and that was taught to me by my parents. And so really recognizing a lot of what I have is, is not cause I'm smarter. It's not cause I'm in a better spot. It's just cause somebody taught me differently and, that helps me in our society um, to function better. Um, but it was really just good. It was good talking with him, hearing from him, meeting his friends who are also in a similar situation, praying with him. Um, he, after a while of praying with him every week, he'd, he'd remind me and be like, hey, you can't leave without praying for me. Um, nice. And so that was really good. 
that was one of the best things for sure. Um, there were other families. A lot of the other families I connected with were families of students that I worked with. Um, but I'd usually call the parent, see how things are going, see what they, they need to prayer for. Man, there's one family just like every week, something bad was happening. Every week is something difficult. Um, and like, there was nothing I could say to make that better. Um, but they definitely, like, they reminded me every week if, if I ever forgot to like check in with them, they'd come to food distribution and be like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't call this week. And it was weird because like, they were kind of socially awkward and it was, it was hard to tell whether like they wanted me calling, uh, <laughs> but they, anytime I missed it, they'd remind me. Um, and it was just the thing of like, I couldn't do anything to make it better. Um, their situation was honestly pretty hopeless. Um, but I could be there. I could check in and I could pray with them and it didn't feel like much, but it was what I could offer. Um, mm-hmm. and God used it more than I could ever expect. Um, and that's, that's the gospel is showing up being there in really tough situations, regardless of, of what you can or cannot do. Um, I, I got to preach a few times while I was there. Um, I preached both at Shepherd Community Church as well as Intersection Church, which is a sister plant church at the YMCA down Washington yep. Street, um, which is where Alan and his son Jimmy both were pastors, lead pastors for that church. Yep. Um, so when they were out of town together, there was two or three times they asked me to cover and preach for them. And there was one sermon I preached that I think I preached it both at uh, shepherd and intersection. I think that's my only repeat sermon, but um, it was on hope and just talking about like, I started with like, where do we even see hope? Like I, I go to work every day and like the people who are dealing with drugs continue to deal with drugs. Um, all the problems we see continue to be problems. Um, and just starting with that and like it landed real well with as far as like, it was really relevant to the people I was preaching to because all of them, most of them worked at Shepherd too. And they went through the same repetitive work with the same people. And it's hard to see hope, but the whole thing of that, that sermon was our hope is not in what we can see or what we can do, but because Jesus already did it. He already went ahead. Um, yeah. We just have to hold on and keep moving towards that end. Um, because Jesus is the one our hope is in, not in the people that we're serving, not in the, in ourselves or in our family, but like Jesus is the one who already did it. And our hope is secure if our hope is in him. Um, and it landed better than I could have expected, but that was really <laughs> at Shepherd. There's, it was hard to see hope, but our hope is not in the work we've done or the people we've done it with. Our hope is in Christ who already said it's, it's finished. I got it. Um, but we still give our best to moving in that direction. Um, knowing that I gave the, in the, in the sermon, I gave the image of at one point before they had bridges, a lot of bridges and they had to cross a river. They would send their strongest swimmer ahead with a rope who would swim through, get to the other side, tie the rope around a tree and everyone else could come along getting through the rapids or the, the strong currents or whatever, just holding onto the rope and going along. And Christ is the one who went ahead. He tied the rope to the other side and we're all following along, but, man, that current can get strong and it can push us and pull us. But as mm. long as we hold on to that rope, as long as we hold on to that hope, the ending is already set. It's the same, no matter what. 
Um, so that was probably one of the most important lessons I learned at Shepherd. Awesome. Uh, to answer your question about what did I do on a week to week basis? <laughs> you answered like you answered like four of the questions, like all here together responses that you already made notes for, dude. I've been tracking along here. I've been watching. Um, it's great stuff. I just I love hearing you you flow in it. That's why I had a hard time interrupting you before when the, the video was like going to cut off. But um, how do you feel like? That's a leading question. Let me rephrase it. Do you feel like there were experiences at Shepherd that helped prepare you for the future? Yeah, for sure. Um, my favorite person there was David No. He was incredible. Um, don't tell him when I called him my favorite, but he was my pastor, my friend, my supervisor in my department. Um, he was another person who was never afraid to ask me for help. And so I helped with the live stream at the church, setting that up, setting up the broadcast. Um, I preached at the church. I gave him feedback on his ideas, his sermons, uh, helped develop even a logo. In the end, they didn't use my logo, but helped uh, with, with the process. Um, I was willing to help with anything he needed, and he was always willing to ask. Um, he grew up in the neighborhood. Uh, he experienced everything our, our neighbors experience, just about. Um, he taught me a lot about calling because at one point I was like, man, David, it's hard to leave, but I, I feel called to local church ministry. Like I'm not, I don't feel called here, but I would stay here for you. <laughs> I told him that he's like, then don't, don't stay because I'm here because I'm called to be here. And until God moves me on, I'm not moving. Um, he's like, I'm not here for Jay. I'm not here for Alan. I'm not here for anyone else except that God calls me to be here. Um, and until he moves me on, I'm, I'm staying. So he's like, you need to move on as much as I want you to stay. Um, and that taught me a lot about calling, but he was really honestly the most practical pastor I've ever met because he'd seen what it looked like in that neighborhood outside the gospel. And then him and his family, family entered into the gospel and it changed their lives. Um, and now they're doing the same for others and stuff that I have to work really hard to see because I grew up in the church. It's just plain to him. Um, and obvious, like what needs to be done sometimes because it's just, it's practical. It makes sense. Mm. Um, and for me, it's, it's hard to break out, break out of that, uh, church structure, like traditional, just what I've grown up with. Um, and so him knowing the issues and problems and pain of our neighbors and knowing the truth of the gospel, he's an amazing pastor. Um, and taught me so much about practical ministry. Like, what does this accomplish is the question I ask myself ever since I went to Shepherd. It's what, what does this accomplish? What am I doing? Um, so that was one of the most important lessons I learned at Shepherd. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, honestly, and then following up on how does that, how does that help me in the future? It's weird. I'm at the same campus I was at as a student, but all of a sudden I'm in a position or posture to where I'm finding the people who need the gospel or they're finding me. Um, and it's just happening. And people are coming to church with me that I don't know where they were when I was a student, but all of a sudden I'm like able to invite people to church and pray for them and check in with them. Mm. Similar to the paraclete program. Um, and I recognize the benefit of that. I have a guy now that I, uh, it's like a small job cleaning his apartment because he's mostly blind, has lung cancer just found out he has kidney cancer too. Um, wow. He's like 60 something. Um, and so the government has like a small fund to 
just take care of him a little bit. So I clean his house. It, it's been like once a week for the last, since January. Um, he smokes half a pack while we're there hanging out, um, which is something I'm familiar with now. And I check in with him. He's really, he's alone. Um, and his, his friend came along. Uh, he has a friend that's staying with him right now. He's like, this guy loves the hell out of you. Um, and it's just checking in with him every week. He called me yesterday for the 4th of July. Um, he's start, He's come to church once. He's been coming, trying to come more and more. Uh, but it's just, it's the same thing as what I learned at Shepherd. And hmm. this opportunity kind of just found me. And I don't know. There's a couple more people now already. I realized last night that it's like, it's just, they, they find me or I find them. I don't know exactly what's changed, but I am so thankful that I am able to find those people. Cause sometimes when you're at a Christian university or in a Christian church or in a Christian company, it's, it's really hard to find people that actually need the gospel. And I was worried that leaving Shepherd and coming here, I would be leaving the opportunity to share the gospel every day. Um, but even here, somehow I've been set up to be able to do that. And it's really cool to see. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like God knows what to do with you. He knows how he made you and put you together and, and plays like just how you are and to put you around people that he can draw to himself through you, man. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. In your in your role as a, a fellow with with Shepherd, what what were the things that were specific to the fellowship in your time there? Like you you described your jobs and the in the roles and the different pieces of ministry and stuff. What were the components of the fellowship kind of program that were outside of your daily tasks and functions? You understand? Is that yeah. a clear enough question? Um, yeah, there was, I mean, we did have fellows night once a week where they provided food, usually pizza um, for all of us. And we met together and kind of shared our experience, but sometimes just had fun together. Um, Cause there were, I think a little over a dozen fellows while I was there. Um, so we, we were all able to connect once a week um, from our different places. Some people were at the daycare, some people are at the Academy. Uh, a few of us were outside of that. That's where most of them were. And that was a good place to connect regularly. Um, I was able to go sometimes to celebrate recovery and see how that worked. Um, Cause they, they said, you don't have to be dealing with addiction to come and be a part of this community. Um, really they, they would say this the whole point of celebrate recovery is to create a community where you can check in. And uh, that was another huge exposure to people who need the gospel and seeing how that's working in their lives. Um, food pantry, uh, was on Saturdays. That was kind of optional, but I would help with that as much as I could. Honestly, being in Indianapolis, I didn't know anybody outside of work. Um, so like I didn't have competing, conflicting schedules going mm-hmm. on. Um, so most of the time I'd, as much as I could, I'd push myself because I still had plenty of time outside of work. It blew my mind coming out of college to go into a full-time job and them tell me in the first week, Daniel, you don't have to do work when you get home what what do you mean because i'm used to college where it's like do all the homework all the time you can do it until late at night until you're finished um and then do it the next day and so it was weird like having me time 
after coming out of college and like the mm. first week it just blew my mind i'm like what do you mean i don't have to do anything when i get home so definitely had more time than i'd ever had especially with covid it's not like i could go around into the city um yeah. so i could get connected with a lot of different things i think that's one of the things that made my fellowship at shepherd uh, exceptional is because i got connected with tom Corey and the food pantry and celebrate recovery the church and honestly anything i could um took walks in the neighborhood even though some people might say that's not the best idea um i got to talk to my neighbor who was a meth dealer and found out he was a real down-to-earth guy um <laughs> loved fixing things hard worker just happened to also deal meth on the side um his friends were less fun but i really enjoyed getting to talk to him um i worked on my car quite a bit because again i had all this time and i was like sure why not so i did random cosmetics on my car <laughs> um at one at one point i had it like wrapped and, and taped and everything to do like the, the trim i spray painted the trim and they thought it was a mobile math lab because it was like covered in trash bags and tape and during service this was early on in me being a fellow uh david no while preaching after at the end of the service he's like all right we're gonna have some like pastries and like milk left over from food pantry and ignore the more mobile meth lab apparently that's one of our fellows working on his car um it was hilarious was it in the uh, parking lot at shepherd yes it was oh uh, man he's just dogging on you huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can hear him saying it and that's when i knew him and i would be really good friends um <laughs> Yeah, it's. I worked on my car and had random people walk up to me and start talking. Um, but like, I got to live with those neighbors and meet those mm. neighbors, and I was just doing life, and they'd walk up and be a part of it. Yeah. So Sweet. I think I, my fellowship was exceptional because I got in, involved, and I also just put myself outside my walls, outside my my house, um, enough to be able to meet the people around me. Awesome. That that leads me into the last two questions we got here, man. And and the first one is, what would be helpful for someone to know before they serve as an intern for the summer or a year-long fellow with Shepherd? Um, it's going to be hard. But honestly, for me, because I was called there, the hardest moments were the moments I knew God was, had me where he wanted me. Um, there was, in the first, like, three weeks of me being there, uh, a prostitute high on something just walked into the parking lot like started throwing rocks in my car and Whoa. they're like welcome to shepherd i'm like yeah um and shepherd took steps to make that right and make sure my car is was okay uh but even like that i was like i'm in the right spot i've mm. never been in a place where a prostitute can just start throwing pebbles at my car because she's high on something um have loud noises or whatever happening next door because of i'm living next to a meth dealer um random dudes smoking weed and inviting me to do that with them um i didn't do it they just invited me um thanks for the clarification oh yeah yeah but those really difficult weird moments were like when i knew like i was like this is where i should be this is where the gospel actually makes sense it is in its native habitat um so it's gonna be hard i'm gonna warn anybody doing it it's gonna be hard it's gonna be weird uncomfortable kind of scary but like god is protecting you shepherd is there to keep you safe like jay will do everything in his power to keep everyone safe um even to some points to a frustrating degree but it's not a place where you're just left out there 
um, like you're supported, you're loved, you're protected. Um, and you'll, you'll be learning a lot and going through some really uncomfortable, difficult stuff. But if that's why God's calling you there, it's going to make all the sense in the world. Hmm. Okay. Last question. Parting advice for someone applying for a fellowship or internship with Shepherd. Um, applying just know like if you hate children don't don't do it um if you want to be up close with maybe something you've never experienced people you've never even had the chance of meeting um you're gonna meet them and shepherd does a lot of different things so if you are interested in any of those things get connected with those things like i said video footage uh broadcasting stuff like that i had an interest and i was just interested in how I might be able to do that at Shepherd. Um, Jay Height has the the problem of always addressing every need he sees in the neighborhood. So there's a lot of different initiatives and programs we have at Shepherd to address every need we can find. So mm. there's a lot of different places. And even if you're not working in your day job at Shepherd in one of those places, um, there's always room to ask and get more involved um, because you're gonna you're gonna have a really solid exceptional year if you can get connected find out more push yourself beyond your comfort and give it everything you got thanks man appreciate you taking the time to to share your journey and and uh offer some thoughts for those that might be considering to embark upon this journey with with shepherd so We'll call it good for now. I'll stop the recording, but I'd love to just chat a little bit afterwards if you're cool with that. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Daniel. Little post log here after conversation with Daniel. I noticed he said the word gospel quite a few times. So I texted him back and asked for him to explain what the gospel meant to him significance of it and this is what he shared hope you enjoyed the entire conversation and interview with daniel and this last little bit from our friend and brother in nashville peace that's a really good question um i have been using the word gospel a lot and i guess when i say it um i'm thinking of just a quote one time i heard that said the gospel has an answer to every question and when i say gospel i'm really just talking about the good news of christ um and the good news that Christ made a way for us to have access to abundant life. And so for a lot of the neighbors around Shepherd in Indianapolis, um, the gospel meant access to family needs, uh, resources to help the family break the cycle of poverty. Um, It might have been help with drug addiction or violence or someone being incarcerated, um, children needing... children needing... um, children needing after-school programs, something like that. Um, but really just the, the gospel is different for, for all kinds of people, depending on... The gospel is different for all kinds of people, depending on where they come from, um, the pain and the suffering they have to deal with. And it's amazing and incredible to see how the gospel lands in different areas and how it makes a difference in all kinds of people's lives.